Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Live from downtown San Francisco, this is 95.7 The Game. Yes, yes, yes. It is almost time. It's not time, but it's almost time. 95.7 The Game, Alan Styles with Evan Giddings here, getting you ready for Game 2 of the NBA Finals. Okay, it's a little bit foggy out, a little bit of rain. Evan, I I, I can't help it. You know, I, it's not a dad joke, but the whole splash bros, it's raining thing. I, I don't want to do it, but I feel like I have to. It's raining outside. It's about to be raining in Chase Center. I had to do it. I had to do it. I had well, to do it. With the microclimates of the Bay Area, Alan, glad to be with you here from here to 12 to 3.30. But the microclimates of the Bay Area would tell you that they sort of come in quickly and they're going to be sporadic. So that, to me, is the way this game could go right, tonight. The right. Splash Bros might be pulling like they were in the first quarter of mm-hmm. Game 1. Now the question is, will that rain continue through all four quarters? Because that's what they might need to beat Boston and even the series. Well, and specifically, you know, I don't know how much is going to rain, but you need it to rain enough to fill up a pool, a.k.a. Jordan pool. We're going to need him to show up. But before we even get into all that, we're going to break down all of the different players. We're going to break down Boston, how they're feeling. Evan has some inside access, some some knowledge that you guys are really going to want to hear. We got Andy Lou at 2 o'clock, but we want to hear from you. Okay, we want to hear from Dub Nation. Okay, the the, the faithful, 95-7 the game, the faithful of Dub Nation, 888-957-9570. Look, I'm going to tell you right now, phone lines open all day, okay, for the whole show. Text line open all day for the whole show. We want to hear from you. How are you feeling? What are your expectations? Who needs to step up? And what happens if it doesn't go the Warriors' way? I know we don't want to put it in the universe, but it's a possibility. It's a possibility. So I'm going to start with you, Evan. How are you feeling? We've had a couple days to marinate on the the, the epic loss. I've been, I've been convinced. Originally, I didn't think it was an epic collapse. I thought, you know, 12, 12 points in this day and age with the three-point line and all that stuff – that's not really that that much, but I think where the epic collapse comes from is after they lost that lead, how things just got way out of hand, and then you end you know losing double digits, which you, you, you just can't do. You can't do at home. So how are you feeling? I'm feeling good, and the reason why I am is because I'm feeling something, right? Mm-hmm. Like, at this point, you should be feeling one way or the other. I don't know if it's panic at this point, but as a Warriors fan— Dub Nation hasn't been in this position all that often. It's kind of a foreign feeling, right? Mm -hmm. And to me, that's what makes this exciting here tonight is because I haven't really felt like this since the Western Conference Finals of 2016, right? right? A team that you're looking at the other side and you kind of might think, are are they better than us? I mean, we've been the best team this entire postseason, but is that team across from us on the other sideline potentially better than us? We're going to find out because if they don't win tonight, we're going to discuss the implications of that. But... They need to come out and at least restore some faith, not only in us, but I think in themselves. Because as Clay, as Dre, as Steph mentioned, they thought they dominated for the first 40 minutes of that game. And then we're talking about splashing. A tidal wave from Boston came upon them in that fourth quarter, and they really didn't have an answer. So they got a couple of days to get right, a couple of days to make adjustments, and I'm excited to see what they do because I'm hoping it's a different Warriors team 
in that fourth quarter that comes out in game two. Well, and let's talk about that a little bit because they all said the right things. The big three, everybody up and down, that's what they do. Of course, Draymond is the one that pushes the envelope a little bit using the word dominating. Steph and Clay, a little bit. I would say Steph the most PC, Clay probably in the middle somewhere. Do you feel that maybe they're a little, for lack of a better term, I don't want to say too confident. They're, you know, they they got the championships. They're the dynasty. Boston's trying to get to them. But to me, it did feel like in some in some fashion that if you're Boston, and not that you need bulletin board material because it's the finals, it almost it almost has come off to me like the Warriors are making it feel like game one was a little fluky. Right, I think they they obviously respect Boston, but I do think they are getting pretty close to the whole, you know, this isn't going to happen again. AKA, you got lucky. All right, is that fair? Is that fair? I don't know if they feel like Boston got lucky because I mean, throughout the season they have given props to Boston. I mean, the 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 fact that you know the game when Steph Curry went down with the ankle injury, we're discussing is Marcus Smart a dirty or not dirty player? Like they were very respectful of both Smart individually as well as Celtics as the team. And let's face it, they've been the best team in basketball since the new calendar year, right. record wise. So it is not like the Warriors are necessarily putting the Celtics down. I think that they, in my opinion, have the right to feel as confident as they do because of the points you just mentioned about the championships, the pedigree, the amount of holes that they have dug themselves out of, not only over the course of their title runs, but this individual season. And so when they came together in the playoffs, finally the big three got on the court, the cohesion and chemistry was electric, and it was immediate. Mm -hmm. And so they feel like, to me, all right, you beat us. You beat us fair and square, but we got another level that we can get to. That is what I took away from those quotes, that they feel like they have another level of basketball in them, and they're going to need it if they want to win the championship. Well, and to your point, as Co said in the show before, and you know very well from working with Steiny and Guru, he did say liquidate all assets. <laughs> so basically, the Warriors are talking big. Co's is talking big. Everybody's talking big. So I'm just sitting here saying, Y'all better show up. That that's that's really that's really where I'm at with this. But 888-957-9570, we told you the phone lines are open all day. And I am so glad that you guys are not even wasting any time. So let's go to Joe in San Jose. Joe, you were on 957 the game. You want to talk about Draymond. Let's get it. What you got, man? The problem is Draymond Green, he dribbled a ball down the court, and then Curry and and Steph have to work hard to get open. And Boston is willing to let Draymond Green beat him. And I think you have to take put Otto Porter Jr. in the lineup, and he's more of a threat offense. And that would take the wear and tear off of um, Curry and uh, Steph because they're not getting any younger, man. You know, you go four quarters and you have to work hard to get open. It, it can be tough, and Draymond Green is just putting too much pressure on Curry and uh, Clay. Thanks for taking my call. Great call, Joe. I mean, it's a good point. I think it's something that we do whenever the Warriors lose because Draymond, a lot of times when the Warriors lose, it's in part because offensively Draymond looks a little iffy, right, for, for lack of a better term. We don't necessarily need Draymond hucking up threes, even though they are so wide open and he practices them. I personally still have faith, and, and maybe I shouldn't, but if you're sitting there and you see him in the hoodie making threes at practice, he's basically as open at practice as he is in games. 
I don't necessarily mind it, but at the same time, if you're not going to make anything, I would prefer just get to the lane, get your floater game going, and maybe go from there. But we do tend to do this whenever the Warriors lose. Okay, it's, well, that's because it's three versus five. But let's not forget, they were up 12 going into the fourth quarter. And for me, Draymond, the bigger concern, at least from game one, was him defensively. Like I know he went two for 12. He missed the threes. He missed free throws. But defensively, he was not the the free safety, or at least he wasn't the Ed Reed that we're accustomed to him being. You know, he was he was much closer to a an average level free safety in game one. And defensively, you need Draymond to be that anchor because five across the board, Boston has options, as we saw, to bomb from all different areas. So if there's dribble penetration and Draymond isn't there to either deter that first driver or, you know, sort of like rearrange the defense as he does so well, then they're going to have problems. So I'm looking to see how Draymond comes out defensively. And he kind of mentioned it after the game. He didn't really feel like the Celtics felt them at all. Mm -hmm. Like the whole idea and the whole, I mean, kind of the common theme was that like they got to get tougher because Boston has been a very battle tested team to this point. And they looked like they were the more physical team in game one. I know the Warriors can be physical. They've gotten through Memphis, who tried to rough them up, obviously. they I mean, they just bullied Dallas. Mm-hmm. They can be a physical team, but that all starts with Draymond. And so I'm looking, especially in the first couple of minutes, how he comes out. Maybe it's a quick foul. Maybe it's it, it's something up front. Like, he's got to show me, and I think show himself and the rest of that team that everything defensively starts with him, and there's going to be no easy buckets for Boston. Yeah, and I don't know if you saw it, but there's a video going around. It's about a two-minute clip of Draymond and the closeouts, they were just for show. They were so late, and to be fair, on some of them, it is Derek White, and he is two feet behind the three-point line, and Draymond, so to me, defensively, I think he knows he needs to step it up. Part of me, I I think he's not going to say out loud, even though he says everything that's on his mind, maybe he left this out. I do think some of it was scheme. I'm going to give him some of that because they were so late. You can watch the video, and he's not necessarily sleeping on people. He's purposely, he's the helper. He's the rover, and he's saying, okay, Tatum this, Tatum that. Tatum could go off for 30 Today And we were talking about it in the pre-show. Tatum could go off for 30, and the Warriors could be pretty happy about that because you don't want to get these other guys going, and you can't leave them open for literally practice shot threes. But let's get back out to the phone line, 888-957-9570. Chewy from Fremont wants to get into the conversation. What's up, Chewy? How you doing? What you got for us? You don't want to get these other guys going, and you can't for literally practice. Turn down your radio a little bit, Chewy. We got you. Come on, Chewbacca. What do you got? All right, Chewy, turn down that radio, get back in here. 925 is chiming in on the text line. Please talk GP2 and his impact if he decides, if Kerr decides to play him. He says he is ready to play. We're going to get into that 925. We got, we got plenty to talk about as far as GP2, but let's get back out to the phone lines. We got Chris from New Jersey wants to talk Jordan Poole, the pool party. What's up, Chris? What you got for us? Hey, man, I'm just, I'm just over here thinking that, uh, Jordan Poole is due for a big one here. What do you think? I think I think the Warriors are going to need not if not a big one, they're going to need him to score more than nine points if they're going to win this series. And that and that, and, and I think that that's something to think about. I don't know, and Evan, I want to get your take on this as well. I don't know if the Warriors can win this series if Jordan Poole is averaging under fifteen a game moving forward. 
I don't know if it's the number of points, but it's definitely the percentage because when he doesn't play well offensively, he doesn't really give you much. And and he's, especially in game one, like they picked him out on defense every single time down and said, we're going to go at you. It doesn't matter if it's Peyton Pritchard, mm-hmm. it's Derek White. Like we're putting the ball on the deck against Jordan Poole. And I think that's why we saw the Warriors in a lot of zone during the 25-ish minutes that he was on the floor. Mm-hmm. And that kind of opens things up for shooters. And Boston is a very hit or miss three-point shooting team. And they were making a bunch of them. So if Jordan Poole's going to be on the floor, Boston's going to get open looks. And so he has to combat that. I think not only, you know, just for the Warriors to be to be successful, but also for him to have confidence and carry it to the defensive end of the court. He's got to be better offensively. My question is, how much can he get to the rim? Like, he hasn't necessarily shot the ball fantastic from three, although he's been, he's been great during this postseason run. But he's gotten to the lane. Like, in the in the conference finals, it was a 6-for-10. It was a 7-for-9. It was a 4-for-6. He wasn't scoring a ton of points, but he was highly efficient because he was getting to the rack. Robert Williams deters a lot of those easy shots, as well as Horford, the combination of them inside. So for me, Poole's got to be able to hit from distance. Maybe mid-range might be an option for him. Mm-hmm. And then that floater game that we've seen him feature all season long, Jordan Poole's got to be more efficient offensively for sure. And I think that hopefully translates to the defensive side. So I got a take on Jordan Poole. And, and, and basically to me, and I don't mean this in a disrespectful way at all, because I think Jordan Poole is a stud. I think he's only going to continue to get better. I think he's going to be a bona fide star when he finally gets there. But I do think he thinks his handles are a little bit better than they are. I think he might feel like, I'm not even going to say Kyrie, because uh, different conversation for a different day. I don't think Steph is that far away from Kyrie. Again, different conversation from a different day. Boy. Hey, I said different conversation for a different day. (laughs) When you look at what Jordan Poole does, his lateral, when he's trying to dance on you back and forth and do all that stuff, it's almost like the defender is just... Dude, not impressed. Not impressed at all. When Jordan Poole is best, he is either he is just very definitive in what he's doing. He makes a decision and he gets to the cup or he takes the shot, right? One of the two. He has not been doing that. When he thinks he can dance on you, he can do that stuff against, as Draymond likes to always call this team out, the Orlando Magic. He can do that even against the the Nuggets. We saw that. You're not going to do that against this elite Boston Celtics team. And he wasn't able to do that in other series as well. Make up your mind and just go. If he just, if he gets ahead of steam going, and just does one quick hezzy because everyone knows he can shoot and gets to the rack, he's golden. But he just hasn't been decisive enough for me really kind of since the Nuggets series, if you think about it. If you're 22 years old playing in your first NBA Finals, do you think you're going to be a little hesitant, a little tentative? Probably a little bit. So let's see what he does tonight. I I think Jordan Poole will be more decisive tonight. I think the other big thing about it for me is – he might need to play a little bit less and kind of condense those minutes. I mean, he he was around 25-26 in the Western Conference Finals. Like, I think his handle is probably the way a lot of people look at Jalen Brown on the mm-hmm. Boston side. Like, Jalen Brown likes to dance a little bit. He's just, he's just taller and probably stronger at this point in his career right. than Jordan Poole. But he does get very loose with the Rock as well. But I, I do agree with you that Poole and his handle, and when he starts to kind of go one-on-one, like, that'll work against a Jalen Brunson that'll work against a a Composo or a, you know, a a lesser defensive Mm -hmm. player. Boston is switchable at all five positions typically. And so it's not necessarily going to be available for him to go one-on-one when he's 
in transition, I think he can you know start to a little bit to right. take it from guru part of me, but he he can he can get out there and start to dance. But in the half court, which is where Boston is best, to me, I'm with you. He needs to make a move or kick it, and he needs to start can you know, continue to move like when the when the offense is is clicking, everyone is in constant movement. And you have to be aware of all five pieces. Jordan Poole is huge because when he's on the floor, he can, he controls the ball a lot. But he needs to be a little more point guardish, I think, in this series than the shooting guard that we've seen him be in the previous three series. I also feel like I haven't seen a lot of him. I feel like earlier in in the earlier playoff series, I saw more of him coming off screens and really a clay esque, right? Stop and pops and things like that. I feel that I we haven't seen that too much lately, and. That gets him going as well because Jordan Poole, again, at 22 years old, doesn't need to think that much. Just get the ball and shoot. Just get the ball and do what you got to do. And and when you look at the offensive efficiency for those second and fourth quarters where obviously Steph didn't start, and that's the Jordan Poole is basically the, the number one option on those lineups or in those lineups, you got to find a way to loosen them up. And I think that also gets connected to Clay as well. They both got to find a way to get loose because those units to start that second and that fourth quarter, they were not good. They were they were not good and that's where Boston that's where Boston continued to to make way. So, you got to find a way to get him going. I think you can do it in a multitude of ways, but let's be honest here. You don't get into transition if the other team is making baskets. And that's what the Celtics were doing. And and Boston is suffocating in the half court. I mean, everyone talked about it before the series, but you saw it firsthand at Chase Center. Last week, like they are great defensively, Mm -hmm. arguably the best team in the league defensively. When they get set, when they hit shots, it's tough to create because of what they are able to do. I I do think that there there are some things that you know the Warriors can potentially unlock offensively that they they were just weren't able to do. But again, it comes down to hitting shots, it comes down to moving the ball, uh, and it comes down to I mean, Poole doesn't really get to the lane that much. He'll draw contact sometimes, but he isn't as physical of a driver as even a, a Stephen Curry. Mm-hmm. So if the jump shot's falling, he's effective. He's crafty though. He's very crafty at the at the cup. But he need he needs to score. Like that's what he's on the court to do. As the sixth man he comes off the bench, his job is to get buckets. And if he's not doing that, then he doesn't provide you much. And in fact he may hurt you as we saw down the stretch of the second quarter as well as into the fourth. Well what he is and I've coined this term, and I'm going to continue to use it because, you know, I love my baseball. He, he's a DH, right? He's a DH. He's there offensively. If your DH continues to go 0 for 4 every game, that, that's, that's a useless DH. And if Jordan Poole is in the game not hitting shots, he's really not doing anything for the team besides giving the other team a lot of confidence offensively. So if you can't, if you can't get Jordan Poole going, and, and the question is, how long of a leash do you give him? Because uh, you – it's a it's a it's a very interesting situation because you need to k- keep him in to get him going, but if you keep him in too long and Boston is just eating him up, how long do you wait if you're Steve Kerr? And this is where I think GP two comes into play. I mean, we're we're talking about game one. He might have a chance to come back. Slater reporting yesterday and then today that it's looking very likely that GP two will be available at least for Steve Kerr. I think that's where Kerr can get creative, and GP two is not necessarily he's not a better offensive option. But he does, I think, have a better understanding of both the moment. You know, he's a little bit older. He's been around the block. And he also just, he, he fits. Like, he's, he's not afraid to pass. He obviously defends. 
My biggest question is how is that elbow going to affect his jump shot? Because GP2 has been so good because other teams sort of disregard him when he's on the court on the offensive side. So even if he can't hit the short corner three, is he going to be able to cut and finish at the rim with Williams and Horford and, and those bigs and the tall trees inside the paint? I don't necessarily know, but if GP, if uh, Jordan Poole, part of me, isn't knocking down shots like you're talking about, I think that's where GP2 can get those minutes and maybe why Poole tonight only plays 20 and GP2 gets 5 to 10 minutes and hopefully is able to provide the impact that we've seen throughout this season in that short burst. He's a defensive weapon. A defensive weapon of that that I, I have. I mean, he's the Jamal Crawford, the Lou Williams of defense, and, and it's it's something to behold, and I really hope that he's able to to get in the game today and really make an impact. Let's get back to the phone lines, 888-957-9570, if you want to text in, if you want to call in. Right now, we got Vince from San Bruno, who wants to talk pool party. Vince, how you doing? What you got for us? Hey, good afternoon, fellas. I uh, want to say great job with the show. Um, I'm 100% uh, on the, on the you know, in agreement with just Jordan Poole seems to be taken out of rhythm on his dribble, and it's almost, you know, he's bringing, he's bringing trouble to him. Um, I, you know, I wanted to maybe discuss the topic of rhythm in basketball, whether it's offense or defense, and uh, once they put that lineup in, uh, you know, in, in, in the fourth with Iguodala, even though he played well, just something off with the rhythm of that push, which I think led to the Celtics' comeback. Uh, what do you guys think? Let me know. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's a good point. I just, again, you're just stuck in this middle ground where you need Jordan Poole's offense. I mean, we're talking about Steph playing a little bit more. We're talking about Andrew Wiggins getting more minutes. But you got to ride what you've been doing this whole time, right? You got you got you can't change the recipe too much now because it's been tasting good the whole time. Yeah, and I do think you have to give credit to Boston for making Golden State feel uncomfortable. Now the question is, how can the Warriors make the Celtics feel uncomfortable? Mm. And I, it comes down to hitting shots. It comes down to not being loose with the ball. They didn't turn over that much. I think it was thirteen, twelve. But you know, as as much as Boston is is a is a hot potentially, as our caller talked about, rhythm team, they can also go. They can fall into lulls where they start bricking shots from everywhere. Like we were talking about this before, but as they hit twenty one threes in game one, if they went. Five for 35 tonight from three-point range, it wouldn't shock me because that's been the team that they've been all season, including the playoffs. That's why they've gone seven games in each of the past two rounds. Now, that has also sort of prepared them, I think, for a... Like, Boston has found more ways to win in the playoffs than the Warriors have had to. Yes. I mean, that's just the way it goes. Like, Warriors have played inferior competition up until this point. Now, they've taken care of business. They've done what they had to do, and they have... As soon as they've had an advantage in any of the previous three series, they have stepped on the throat of their opponent. Mm-hmm. But they haven't had someone punch them in the mouth the way that Boston did. You could make the argument that Memphis did it a little bit, but they don't have the overall talent of a Celtics team. And so, to me, it's all about how the Warriors can get back up on the, off the canvas. I think that's why you heard them talk confidently in postgame pressers yesterday. There's no panic in this team because there doesn't need to be any panic yet. And I'm sure... Even I mean, God forbid, but even if they go down 2-0, they still feel like they can beat this team four times in the next however many weeks. They need to get the job done tonight, but I don't necessarily think that they they feel like this is a a must-win for them. We'll get into the must-win stuff later. We definitely will because I I got takes for that. I got takes for days on that, and I know Dub Nation does too. I will say this. 
when it comes to trying to, you know, I, I guess prove that we are the better team, we are the superior team, I don't want the Warriors to go out there and try to win the game in the first quarter. I do want them to come out hot, but they need to remember, and I know there are dynasty things like that, but you remember the days where Oracle would get rocking, you know, Steph would be shimmying, everything's great, it's the second quarter, right? Or, or it's the third quarter, and you got to remember, you got a whole another quarter to play. Now, they haven't blown leads like this quite often, but it has happened, and I just, I don't want them to go out there and try to necessarily win the game in the first quarter. I, you see what I'm saying? I want them to come out hot. I want them to come out with intensity, but do not necessarily the quarter first quarter could be over. And the thing about the reason I say that is because looking at the Celtics, they remind me of a high school team. They're very even keel. You know what I mean? They don't get too high. They don't get too low. So the war chase could be rocking. Everybody's having a good time. You can't tell when the Celtics are up by 10 or down by 10. And that scares me. I'm sure Boston feels like this is their moment, but I, I, I actually want to fall back on some, do you think that a 15-point lead, with all the leads that we've seen blown in these playoffs, and especially this season, with how many swings we've seen in individual game, like, do you think that 15 points is that big of a lead? That's what I'm saying. I didn't think it was an epic, epic collapse to me, but everybody was saying— 12-point loss is not it, that much. Yeah, everybody was saying it wasn't the fact that they lost the 12-point lead. It was the fact that after the 12-point lead got lost, it just got avalanched. That what is what made it epic. I mean, but the Warriors scored, what, 38 points in that third quarter. Boston scored 40 in the fourth. The difference was Boston kept pace offensively, and the Warriors just couldn't buy a bucket in the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. But 12 points to me in in modern-day basketball with the volume of three-point shooting that we see is probably closer to, like, a six- or eight-point game. Like, it's... It is. I mean, Boston almost blew a 12-point lead with three minutes left in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals. And they... they Potentially should have lost that game. Yeah. Twelve points is not that big of a spread to me. And so even though you know the Warriors were up double digits or this, like that's a four possession game. Yes, I completely agree. And we're gonna get back to it as soon as we pay some bills. 95-7 the game. And when we come back, we want to hear more. Coach Duran in Union City, hold on. We got you, Bob. We got a Boston fan calling in. I guess we got you too, Bob. It is Evan Giddings. It is Alan Styles getting you ready for game two of the NBA Finals. Warrior Celtics, 95-7 the game. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Iguodala comes way up top. Will he set the screen? No, he's going to pin down for Thompson. It goes up to set a screen for Poole. Poole throws it to the right wing to Andre. He'll launch. He'll fire. Playoff Andre with a three from the right wing. Now back to 95-7 the game. Yes, yes, yes. We are back. 95-7 the game. Getting you ready for Warriors Celtics. Game two, NBA Finals. Allen Styles, Evan Giddings. We've been rocking with you, and we're going to keep rocking with you. So, Evan, before break, we were talking about what the Warriors need to do. Where can they make changes? What Was it a quote-unquote fluke what the Celtics did? How are you feeling when you saw the Celtics go in fuego in the fourth? Were you thinking this is just something that's not going to happen again? Or, I mean, to me, Al Horford was shooting 43%. Now he's up to 46 It's It's not like we're dealing with Russell Westbrook here. It could happen again, but what I saw was a lot of open shots. Mm. Now, you got to give Boston some credit. They created those looks, and Al Horford isn't hitting step-back threes like he's a stationary corner shooter that's shooting wide-open threes. He got hot. That's what happens. I think the the guys you tip your cap to are the Derek Whites. I know Peyton Pritchard hit a three. Daniel Tice um, hit Daniel a three. Daniel Tice hit a three, but again, wide open. Short I know, corner. I know, I know White had some difficult looks that he's made, and he's definitely stepped up his game as far as three-point shooting is concerned in these playoffs, but I saw a lot of open looks, and I think the Warriors will adjust to be able to shut those down. I don't know if it's less zone. I think it's just a more physical game tonight. Like The Warriors are going to try and muck it up the way teams muck it up against them. Yeah. And how Boston came out and was very physical in that first half. And the reason why it was a two-point or, you know, one-possession game with Boston ahead at the end of the first half is because they said, all right, Steph, you know, if you if you notice a lot of those three-point shots that he was hitting in the first half were wide open. Yeah. There's miscommunication on defense. And Boston shored those things up. They made the adjustment a lot quicker than the Warriors did. But now with two days in between game one and game two, I expect the Warriors to make the adjustment to lock down those open threes so that if Boston is hitting them, you're just tipping your cap. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was in the fourth quarter, almost every three-pointer was, uh, based on the statistics, open to wide open, which means there was six feet of separation, which, again, those closeouts that we were seeing just for show. Didn't mean anything. By the way, tip-off, just so everybody knows, tip-off is at 5 p.m. today or tonight. Not 6 p.m., just to make sure. And, of course, you can hear all the action here on 95.7 The Game. So let's get back out to the phone lines. I know you both have been waiting patiently. Let's first go to Coach Duran in Union City wants to give us a Dubs prediction. Coach Duran, what you got for us? Warriors are taking this one. I'll go 108-100, Curry with 33, Thompson 27, GP2 defense kicks in. Dub Nation, here we come. I'm on the way to the game, Section 310, City Bistro. Yeah, Warriors, let's go. Let's go. Coach Duran, that's the energy I'm, I'm feeling. 
That's the energy I'm feeling. Section 310, go say what's up to Coach Durant. Go, go, go buy him, uh, you know, go, go buy him a crab sandwich or something like that. Do it up for him. Get some garlic fries. I know I'm talking Oracle Park now, but I know, <laughs> but I'm, I'm sure there's a, there's some cross some cross stuff going on here. Okay, so here we go. I got some good chicken sandwiches inside the Chase Center. I'll there tell you, you go. Mm-hmm. Let them know. Let them know, Evan. So now we're going to switch it up because, look, here at 95.7 The Game, we give everybody an equal opportunity. And we are going to go to Bob in Boston, who just is a Celtics fan. Bob, how are you feeling about game two? Bob Williams? <laughs> I, I feel good. Um, you know, mission accomplished. I mean, we got one. It would be amazing to get two. But the thing about the Celtics, and you know, they have such irrational confidence and, you know, the Warriors come out and they hit you with these amazing spurts and runs, and the Celtics are never out of a game with their defense. So I think, as you just mentioned, I forget which one of you said it, but the game is a game of adjustments. But if you tighten up on the outside shots, that plays right into the Celtics' hands because Tatum and Brown love going to the basket. They draw fouls, and you have Williams as a lob threat. So my hope is that the Celtics take it in six. I'll be there um, a week from Thursday. So, uh, but I expect the Warriors to make this a really, really tight series, and I'd be surprised if it, it it ends before Game Six or Game Seven. To be honest with you. Well, you know what, Bob? We'll take that. That was a good call out of you, Bob. I mean, obviously Warriors in six over here, but that was a great call out of Bob. And I think you know when you do look at, it is good to know what the other side is thinking. And I think based on what happened in the first game. Is it possible, to Bob's point, that the Warriors say no threes, no threes, and it becomes a bit of a layup line for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown? And that is the opposite. I guess the Warriors, a two is less more than, less than a three, but at the same time, you see those balls go in as far as you know, easy shots here, easy shots there. Now your threes start falling if you're Jason Tatum. And he doesn't need to have uncontested threes. He can make them contested. So you got to be careful that you don't sell out too much because I guess that's the happy media medium, Evan, right now between, okay, they're not going to hit an NBA Finals record amount of threes again, but we have to close out more. Well, I do want to give credit to Bob, too, because based on the amount of respect that he's showing to Golden State, due respect, I, I must add, he's probably in the minority of Boston fans. Like, let's, let's be honest. They're feeling real confident after a Game yes. 1 win. Everyone's been throwing out the 70% after Game 1. Team goes on to win the series, which honestly is probably higher if you talk about winning Game 1 on the road. Actually, only 47% of road teams have gone on to win the series. If they take game one on the road. When they take game one on the road. It's all about game two. It's all about game two. Well, that that's true. And also, if you look at Boston in itself, in its run, they lost game one at home mm-hmm. to Milwaukee. They lost game one. Granted, it was on the road, but they lost game one to Miami. So I'm sure they're feeling, they, like they know exactly where, where Golden State is mentally, and they're not going to take their foot off the gas pedal but I do think that, you know, if we're talking about the threes, like, you can bait Boston into taking both contested and uncontested looks. And, I mean, you know, Grant Williams didn't have a good game. There were some players that didn't shoot the ball particularly well for the Celtics. But if I'm Golden State, it can't be anything inside. Like, that's where other teams, where I should say they've taken advantage of other teams like Dallas, uh, more, more so Denver than Memphis, but like they have won the points in the paint battle. And so they need to figure out offensively how they're going to get easy looks and how they're going to kind of lure Boston into settling. Like, I think that's where Tatum, you and I disagree a little bit on his performance in game one. To me, Tatum was exactly what 
the Celtics needed him to be, which was a true point guard. That was a huge question coming in. Who's the point guard for this team? Who's going to handle the ball? Well, I mean, granted, 12 of those assists were on threes of the 13 that he had, but he didn't force anything. He didn't turn the ball over. If you turn him and Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart into one-on-one players, which they can be successful at, they're, they're very talented, especially offensively, but that, to me, is where you you kind of need to try and, like, you can't let the others get involved because once others start making shots, it makes things so much more uncomfortable for you defensively. I'm looking to see how they can try and turn Tatum into a one-on-one player where he's not getting his teammates involved. I think Boston did that a little bit to the Warriors in Game 1 where they, you know, they're good defensively, but they forced Curry into trying to, to, to do it all by himself. Poole was trying to do it by himself. Clay was, like, there wasn't a lot of connectivity between... Golden State and its offense. And so I'm looking at the other side. Golden State needs to find a way to make sure that, you know, running down the shot clock, they need to be better, forcing more decisions from Boston, especially with their primary ball handlers, because Tatum is, I think, tough to to strip, but Brown's a little loose with the rock. Yeah. Smart's a little loose with the rock. But if you and you make them one on one players, they can beat themselves in a way. Yeah, and a lot of the problem with Jalen Brown in that Heat series was how much he was turning the ball over, live ball turnovers throughout the playoffs. And when you are not getting him to turn the ball over and he feels too comfortable, that was the problem. They just all felt too comfortable. Even And that was my, I don't want to say issue, but with the word dominate from Draymond, the Celtics looked comfortable to me. Even if the Warriors were in control, they didn't, they didn't look uncomfortable to me at any point. But speaking of stripping the ball and who can do that best or better than GP2. Nobody on the Warriors, we know that. He is elite in that way. Let's get to Steve Kerr talking about GP2's potential in Game 2. The other night I would have put him in in special circumstances, maybe a late game stop. I didn't feel comfortable playing him significant minutes yet. I thought uh, and the training staff felt like he needed a little more time. I anticipate that he will be available for more than that tomorrow because the last couple of days have, have gone pretty well and he's feeling better. Yeah, so, I mean, if you get him and you get what he brings to the table, again, That just gives Steve Kerr another chess piece to play with and something that the Boston Celtics have to account for. Because if you get him in the game and he's putting pressure on Jalen Brown, picking him up at full court, even picking Jason Tatum up. Again, let's not act like Jason Tatum has the best handles in the world, right? He's not as loose with the ball as Jalen Brown, but even just getting pressure on both those guys. And Andrew Wiggins, by the way, been doing a great job on Jason Tatum, or or as good of a job he can from a scoring standpoint. We know, just like you said, he got the others involved. So if you can get GP2 out there, that just opens this whole thing up for the Warriors. But I don't want to get into a situation where everyone is hoping for something. And as you alluded to, this might be the old okey-doke. Yeah, so I I think that, GP2 is probably more of a decoy in game one, but I, I'll, I'll take Steve Kerr at his word. Like, if, if he's going to be totally available and they can use him for more minutes, then I imagine probably the five-minute stretch he was thinking about putting him in late in that game to try and mix up things defensively, then I'm sure he'll be on the floor. I, I just don't know how... Like, So he's averaging 16 minutes per game in the playoffs in the games that he's been available. I don't think we'll see him that much, but if it's a five-minute stretch in the second five-minute stretch. Like, GP2 to me is the guy that you could close a quarter with, which is where they had most of their trouble in game Mm, one. Very true. And I think that's why Steph and Draymond felt so confident because 
sure, they, they quote maybe they didn't dominate for 40 minutes, but they felt like they had control of the game for 40 minutes. Where they lost, including the fourth quarter, was you know the two minutes at the end of the first quarter, two minutes at the end of the second quarter, third quarter, even though Golden State had their run, the Celtics seemingly had kind of a response to each of those big 8-0 runs. Like, they would hit a three. Warriors would come down, get a quick couple baskets. Boston would hit a three. And so they, they sort of weathered that storm. GP2, to me, defensively, he doesn't allow Boston to feel the comfort that you're talking about. Like, he's not afraid to get in you. And whether it's picking you, picking you up 75 feet, 90 feet, whatever, like, he also then, within the 10 to 15 minutes that he could play tonight, he's got six fouls to work with. Right. So he can be as physical as he wants to be. I think that's where the Warriors maybe, I'm not saying they need to do anything cheap, but, like, don't be afraid to take a foul if someone's going to the rack. Like, don't be afraid to put someone on the ground if it's a Marcus because they're going to do the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. If the Warriors have an open look at the rim, Williams, he's going straight up, someone else is going to come and hack you, and whether it's going to be a clean foul or whether it's going to be a block or a contest, like they just want you to make sure that if you're up in the air in the paint that you're hitting the deck hard. The Warriors, I think, need to em- you know, embrace that a little bit on their defense. And I will say one thing that happens in almost every game, we really haven't heard, which means that they did a pretty darn good job. We really haven't heard anything about the refs. 16 free throws for the Celtics, 15 for the Warriors. And for the most part, they let the boys play. There were a couple fouls on Steph where th- that one egregious one where he went the up and under and Robert Williams clearly got him. That was the worst one. It's hard to tell even when you're watching on TV sometimes because Steph falls on almost every drive and same with Draymond. So I don't know that the Warriors or I don't know that the refs are necessarily missing calls because they were letting them play both ways. It's not as if the Celtics had a bunch of foul shots and the Warriors didn't. They were just letting them play both ways. And if I'm Steph... We need you healthy. If you don't have to fall on the ground, don't fall on the ground because it doesn't seem to be helping your cause as far as getting those and one calls. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't think Steph is trying to get a call. Well, he's been he's been trying to get a call his whole career, but I don't think that he's he's doing anything different yeah. than he's ever done. It's just and, the finals. No, and like each round you get deeper, they understand this refereeing. They step a little more out of the picture than usual, and I think that's how it should be. Like. I don't want to have to worry about what the referee is going to do or not do in a certain situation. Sure, there may have been a call or two that they missed in game one, but like it, it evens out over the course of 48 minutes. I thought they did a pretty good job considering. And the fact that the fact that Warriors Twitter was not on the refs after game one, to me, is an indication right. that they did a good job because if there was any sniffing of, well, I don't know how you know Mark Davis or Mark Jones is doing this, like whatever referee's in there, they would have called them out for it. So, refereeing to me is irrelevant in Game 2 and maybe a reason why the Warriors can afford to get a little bit more physical, can afford to slap a little bit more at the hands and the wrist because Boston has been, again, they're used to playing against tougher, physical, especially defensive-minded teams in Milwaukee and Miami. Miami would, I mean, they just tried to maul Boston. That's how they forced seven games. The Warriors, I think, need to do a little bit more of that and that'll hopefully knock the Celtics off their perch. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go to my beloved text line, 888-957-9570, if you want to text in or call in as well. 510, Tony Brothers and Zarba are refs tonight. Celtics haven't won a game with them. Anything to that? No. I hope the streak continues. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's what I have to that. Well, and they haven't won a game with, with them ever doing a Celtics game or just like in this playoffs. I would guess the throughout the, the playoffs. Season. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, that's. Hey, I, I we'll I take whatever that. we can get. Take whatever we can get as we get ready for Warrior Celtics game two. Again, tip off is at five in Chase Center. You can hear all the action here at 95 7, the game. 5 1 0 chiming in. GP2 is one of those players that lifts the whole team's energy. And, you know, yesterday somebody said something, and it was if GP2 is a margin of victory, does that say something about where the Warriors are? And I think that that person grossly undervalues GP2. Because it's not about GP2. I, I feel like a lot of times with the Warriors, everyone gets caught up with the offense. And this is the first player that I can remember that really has made everyone, given everyone that same feeling that you have when the Warriors make a three on defense. That's been GP2. And if you get him in the lineup, what I would say is this. Can you imagine, and assuming he does check in today based on what Steve Kerr is saying and what GP2 is saying as well, I'm ready, no discomfort. The roar that is going to be all around Chase Center. It is going to erupt when GP2 checks into the game. I, I just think, again, going back to the liquidate all assets, this is a situation where you got to feel really good if you're the Warriors, even if you say, even if you're right, and he is a bit of a decoy, just to get him in and to lift everybody's spirits and to get moving forward, I, I just think it's a win-win. I, I don't think he'll be a decoy tonight. I thought he was kind of a decoy in game one. Mm-hmm. But... I think that GP2, to me, in all this season, he, he's kind of been like, you know, a bench version of Draymond. Like, he he's a guy that is, he knows where to make the right plays. Mm-hmm. He's fantastic defensively. He switches. He's smart. He doesn't play outside of himself, which is probably the biggest difference between him and Draymond sometimes. Right. Draymond can play outside of himself, but he usually doesn't, and I don't expect him to tonight. When GP2 comes off the bench, there is energy in the building. There is energy that courses through the lineup, but it's because of how smart he plays and because of how much of a team and, I mean, a true warrior that he is. Like, he's perfect for this system, and he's the the type of teammate you want out there. He's the type of guy you want to go into the foxhole with. Like, GP2, to me, embodies a lot of those Warriors culture values that we talk about and harp on as to why this team has had success for such a long time. And for them to find that guy, bring him in, and sort of develop him throughout this season, I just hope he's able to get on the floor because of not only what he's done and what he can do, but because of how hard he's worked to get to this moment. And the Warriors have rewarded players like that throughout their successes of the past eight years. And GP2, to me, could be potentially one of those crowning achievements. First team, all culture team. Oh, yeah. First team, along with Kevon Looney, obviously. Kevon Looney, GP2. I mean, that, that that is just everything that you talk about when you when you mention the pedigree and all these words that can be seen as cliches. You see it. I mean, the proof is in the pudding when these guys get on the floor and they're able to take care of their business. Let's let's hear from Curry a, a, about GP2 and his availability and what that would mean to this team. He's a just a defensive menace in terms of being able to guard a lot of different positions. He gets into the ball, makes people uncomfortable, can disrupt a lot of different actions and different uh, situations out there. He even has a knack on the offensive end, just being in the right place at the right time and gives us great energy. So the fact that he's available is big just because of what he's what he's been through these last three, four weeks. But the fact that he's available, I know he, he has to be ready because uh, the number can be called at any moment and he has to go be you know the GP that we know him to be. He can affect this series that same way. Guarding Jalen, guarding Jason, Marcus, whoever he's he's asked to guard, giving us a huge boost of energy because uh, that's what he does. We know what he does defensively, but offensively, we've also 
talked about, okay, you can't have the 3v5 when Draymond is not doing anything offensively. We know Looney is also limited offensively. So we do have to mention the fact that GP2 obviously isn't necessarily in there for offense, but he has been, I believe he was six for eight in the playoffs before he went down. He had been giving them what we call found money. So I don't expect that. As far as we don't know what he's going to do shooting-wise, I did see that video, as I'm sure everybody else did, of him just swapping a three yesterday with the sweet lefty stroke. But I would I would say even though he can make those shots, or it seems like he, there is no discomfort, things like that, they're, they're going to allow him to do that. But where GP2 gets you is within that offense, when you are struggling from three-ball land, he will sneak by, you forget about him, right? He's the biggest little man on the court, and next thing you know, he's cutting to the basket, and he's either dunking or he's either getting a layup. We've seen that time and time again. And again, that's another dimension that the Warriors didn't have in Game 1. Well, they just didn't get a lot of easy looks at the rim, and that's because the Celtics have two guys inside pretty much at all times that can not only step out and play on the perimeter, but also recover from the weak side. Like, if, if you get past Tatum, well, there's Robert Williams. If you right. get past Jalen Brown, well, there's Al Horford. But I, I think you're you're right on one thing there with, with GP2 is that he just he kind of finds a way to slither around, and you lose track of him very easily. The one thing that I think the Celtics will make him do is is prove to them that he can hit a shot. Like, yeah. I mean, I know he's he's hitting shots in practice, and and he looks good by all by all accounts. But they're like they're going to give him that shot and say, yeah. "You're coming off of a fractured elbow three weeks ago. Hit a jumper, please." And well, and again, not to not to harp on it, but I mean, we've seen Draymond go five for five in practice, right? It's a lot yeah. different in game time. And specifically now you're talking about the final. So you really hope whatever GP two gives you, you know, uh, is enough to kind of take the Warriors over the hump. But I do know this, whether, whether he's, he's able to play one minute or 10 when he checks in chase is going to erupt. It is going to erupt. That's a fact. And it should because, and Steve Kerr should erupt because it allows him, I think to sort of unlock what, Against Memphis was their best small ball lineup when you have GP2, Curry, Clay, Wiggins, and Draymond. And now that does leave Poole off the court, but against a team like Boston or Memphis, like you need to be switchable at at least four of the five positions. And Steph has demonstrated that he can be a, a, a very a, average to at least above average defender. He's not Jordan Poole. He's not food out there for the yeah. opposing offense. So when GP2 was on the court for that series, like I felt very confident that not only they could get stops, but they could turn the stops into points. And I think that's where it starts with Boston because we talked about in the first segment, if Boston is making shots and they're setting their half-court defense, they're a very tough team to beat. You can score on them, but it's extremely difficult compared to if you're taking out a long rebound, if you can get out in transition. I know the Warriors don't like to run a ton, but they need to, they may need to run more in Game 2 than they did in Game 1 because that might be the best opportunity to get a look at the rim when those bigs are huffing and puffing back on defense. you got to try and take advantage and get inside early in the shot clock as opposed to trying setting your offense and operating that way. Yeah, I just think that there weren't enough. Again, it seemed as if the Warriors were, for lack of a better term, I guess playing themselves in a way because Boston was pushing the pace. Boston was saying, you're going to play our way. And the Warriors, even though, and again, this is mostly in those second and fourth quarters. So to me, even though it did, the Warriors had to lead for majority of it, you look up and the Celtics were winning at halftime. I think everybody, including the Warriors, were a little bit surprised when Steph went on that flurry in the first quarter and they were up by four. 
And I think at that point, they probably said, okay, we're going to stretch this thing out. Next thing you know, in the halftime, they're down two. So I do think that maybe it took a whole game, and we've seen this. Maybe it's okay that this happened in game one where the Warriors can say, all right, we know that you guys are really about that business too, so we're going to make sure we, we take care of business moving forward. Would you rather that happen now or in a closeout game, right, or whatever the case may be? So you wish it didn't happen. You wish you didn't waste a, a great game by Steph, even if people want to talk about what happened in the fourth quarter. I think the whole thing was a bit of an anomaly just because— Did, did you think it was a great game from Steph? I mean, early on, I, I just think that once the avalanche ha- happened, I would make the argument that it's it wouldn't just be on Steph to stop the ar- to stop the avalanche. It would be on Steph, Draymond, the whole core, and nobody could. And 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 that's how it's always been with this team. It's never been St- Steph is you know the 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 one true leader, and and he it's his job to do everything. That's not how it's been. So I'm not going to say now it's 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 on Steph to stop. Something that we've actually never seen before in the NBA Finals, which is 41 threes. Yeah, but I also think that, and I don't want to come down, down Curry's road too much, but that, but that's a game where if you know you got a potential top 10 player ever, which I, I think he's absolutely in the conversation for, if not already in, like if he's got 21 in the first quarter, that may be a game where he needs to get to 40 or to 45. And I, I know that he loves to get everyone else involved and people especially key in on him once he gets things going. But in the fourth quarter, when no one is do- like, you need your star to step in and rise to the occasion. I'm not saying he can't do that, but there was no answer from him or the Warriors in the fourth quarter against Boston. I just, like, I'm looking for him to have another quote unquote great game. And I don't know if it's necessarily scoring, but it's got to be passing, it's got to be creating, like, He's got to hit some contested shots, and he's got to hit some difficult shots because we know he can, and they may need him to do that to win game two. Well, when we talk about the Warriors' confidence and how they've been you know, talking this talk ever since the loss, Steph has been the one guy that has actually, in my opinion, been the most real as far as the situation. He talked about how this one stung, and I think he really wore it. And part of that was also, Evan, talking about his minutes, right, and how you got to empty the tank now. So I think he does... He's hearing you. He's hearing people that have takes similar to yours. And I am very anxious to see what he does do in game two because clearly that first quarter, again, that first quarter happened, everybody thought the game was over, right? (laughs) Steph Curry, Flurry, we're going down. That's not how it is. But when we come back, we're going to keep diving in to the Warriors. We're going to keep reading off your text messages and getting to your calls. We want to dive into Clay a little bit more, Draymond, get into Wiggins. No, everybody is on notice, okay? We're confident, but we're all on notice. It is Evan Giddings. It is Alan Styles. 95.7 The Game. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app.